Welcome and thank you for joining us on Birth Mother Matters in Adoption with Kelly Rourke Scary and me, Ron Rains, where we delve into the issues of adoption from every angle of the adoption triad. Do what's best for your kid and for yourself because if you can't take care of yourself, you're definitely not going to be able to take care of that kid and that's not fair. And I know that my daughter will be well taken care of with them. Don't have an abortion. Give this child a chance. All I could think about was needing to save my son. My name is Kelly Rourke-Scary. I am the executive director, president, and co-founder of Building Arizona Families Adoption Agency, the Donna K. Evans Foundation, and creator of the You Before Me campaign. I have a bachelor's degree in family studies and human development and a master's degree in education with an emphasis in school counseling. I was adopted at the age of three days, born to a teen birth mother, raised in a closed adoption, and reunited with my birth mother in 2007. I have worked in the adoption field for over 15 years. And I'm Ron Raines. I've worked in radio since 1999. I was the co-host of two successful morning shows in Prescott, Arizona. Now I work for my wife, who's an adoption attorney, and I'm able to combine these two great passions and share them on this podcast. Here's part two of our revealing conversation between Kelly Rourke Scary and myself about her reunification with her birth mother. We'll pick it up right where we left off last time. Like, I still didn't really know what I was getting into. I didn't, you know, I mean, she loved telling her the story of my birth, and that was really important to her. You know, she very clearly remembers uh, going into what must have been the operating room because there were, like, panels on the ceiling. Uh And... She remembers the nurses being very nice to her. And then she remembers waking up in the bed in pain and then trying to help her afterwards. Then she remembers her sister that knew that she was in the hospital, had come to the hospital, and her dragging her out of bed and taking her over to weigh her because they wanted to see how much she'd lost after having me. (laughs) And she said that she had to walk past the nursery. Things a 16-year-old would do. I know, right? You know? She said that when she walked past the nursery, she purposely looked the other way because she said that she knew she wasn't supposed to see me and she didn't want to break the rules, Hmm. which I found kind of ironic because she got there in the first place by breaking all the rules. But (laughs) But this rule, she didn't want to. She was sticking by this rule. (laughs) Okay. She remembers a social worker coming in and talking with her about the adoption. She said, looking back, she felt pressured. And she said there was another woman in the room. And she really believed that the other woman in the room was my adoptive mother. Hmm. My adoptive mother says, of course not. That it was wasn't. a closed adoption. That wasn't me. But that's what she had in her head. Okay, this is the woman who's to the day she died. the child. Wow. Yeah. Oh, even mm-hmm. after you met, and I'm sure you've told her. Yeah. No, that wasn't. That yeah. wasn't. She didn't uh, believe it. She was very much a believer of conspiracy theories and things like that. Okay. And she uh, would, you know, really had some anger towards her own mother because she felt pressured into the adoption situation. She remembers... Do you think she regretted it, though? Oh, absolutely. Do you? Absolutely. Even when she saw the life that you would eventually live? Because of her own loss. Okay. In her words. So... She was very proud of the person that I became, Mm -hmm. but she felt very much like Like something was stolen. She was robbed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I do think that my biological grandmother made the right choice. And I think that had she received services and aftercare, 
she would have seen that it was the right decision. Right. And, and would have had it been her. an open adoption yeah. or even semi-open. Right. Yeah. But that wasn't the case. No. And so as you know, I'm I'm learning all of this and I'm I'm preparing to to fly out, which I, I found her on a Friday and I flew out with one of my best friends on a Wednesday. I didn't I left my ex husband and kids at home because I didn't want I didn't know what I was getting into. Right. And I thought it would be better the first time if I just less moving parts. Yeah, let's. And so I took Kim, who we have uh, interviewed before. Mm -hmm. And if you haven't heard that, go back and listen to that podcast. It's very fun. Kim is she was delightful. She was fun. Yeah, she is. She's a she's a riot. (laughs) Um, So I remember, you know, her pulling out a video camera, and we're in the airport, and she's like, "I'm documenting this," and I thought, "Are you kidding me? (laughs) I don't want to be on camera." And she goes, you're going to regret it if we don't. Yeah, thank and God so she did. She did, yeah. Mm-hmm. So she's interviewing me beforehand. And I remember her asking me, what is the one thing you hope to achieve on this visit? And I remember I said, I hope I find me. Wow. You know, with that, we got on the airplane. And the the gentleman sitting next to us was asking questions and then he asked me, he said, does your adoptive family know that you're flying out to meet her? And I said, no. And he said, why not? And I said, because I wasn't ready. They knew that I had looked for her. They knew mm-hmm. that I had found her. I wasn't ready to process whatever emotions okay. that they were going to have about it. Do you think there's... A possibility that it was also in the back of your mind, maybe saying, what if this doesn't work out? What if this isn't what I thought it was? No, I felt guilty like I was cheating on somebody. Did you? Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. I felt really Mm -hmm. guilty. I felt like I was cheating on them, like I was robbing them of... How well did they get to know each other, your adoptive parents and your birth Uh, Pretty much not at all. Did they meet? So, no. They never met? No. Uh, they, my adoptive mother and my, my birth mother spoke on the phone one, maybe two times briefly. And my dad never, no. Um, because my biological mother had felt so robbed, she, she had a hard time dealing with, with them, not, not dealing with them. And it, and it wasn't. It wasn't that. It was accepting that there was another couple that that, that got to raise me, and she was not able to. And She was robbed, and they got the blessing right. for it. And, and in a way, they were the robbers. From her perspective. Right. Which wasn't the case at all. But no, no. But from her perspective, not. that's exactly right. what it was. And okay. she really struggled she with— She resented them. Yes. She was, she was very mm. uh, jealous of them, and— more, not really my adoptive dad. For some reason, she did not have any issues. It was because he didn't take her place, whereas the my adoptive mom did. And okay. so it wasn't anything personal. Mm-hmm. It was more, I think it was just raw jealousy. I think okay. it was. And the other issue and the reason that I never facilitated the two of them meeting is they came from very different worlds and very different cultures. Yeah. And I'm not sure it would have gone well. Do you regret that at all? No. Okay. No. No, I don't. I think sometimes 
in certain situations, the unknown is better than the known. Okay. And that's rare to say that. But in this situation. Right. Usually, obviously, no. you're a big proponent of yes. educate, shine a light. Yes. But in this in case. In this case, no. no. I think it would have resulted in hurt feelings and more confusion. And I didn't want anybody's feelings to get hurt. That was something that I was always, even as a child, very conscientious of. I didn't want to hurt anybody's feelings. I was very protective of my adoptive family in that first visit. I remember that first night um, after we got off the airplane and went to her house, I remember some of her family members came over and they were asking me, like, what's your adoptive family's name? And I wouldn't tell them. Really? No. Because, again... I was protective of them. Yeah. And I didn't know what they were going to do. I didn't, I mean, I didn't know these people, even though I was biologically related to them. I didn't know if they were going to call them up and stalk them or uh, accuse them of something, hurt them or anything. I didn't know anything. And so I I was, I just said, and in essence, it would be like giving a stranger your family's information. And so I wasn't ready to do that. Right. I remember I was really in that frozen state. Pretty much, I would say the first 48 hours, I was really just polarized mm-hmm. because it was nothing that I could have foreseen. There was nothing. It was when I got off the airplane, you know, she had a rose for every year that every birthday she missed. I mean, she she mm-hmm. did things beautifully. And she was so worried that I wouldn't think she was beautiful or that I wouldn't bond with her, you know. People ask me right away, well, did you call her mom? Well, I did. That was what she wanted. Mm -hmm. And I felt that after 34 years of life without her, she deserved it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That was from the onset. You know, I got a lot of flack from a lot of people on that. Mm -hmm. And, you know. Did you have similar fears? Like, she won't look at me like a daughter when you, before you met her, obviously, or even before you talked to her. No, because I didn't know what to expect, so I didn't have any so fears regarding no that. So you had no Okay. Mm-mm. No, I, I didn't know whether this was <clears throat> going to be a one-time visit or whether this was going to be an ongoing relationship. For the rest of their life, yeah. Yeah. I mean, no doubt, throughout her life with me and in the last 10 years, there were highs and lows. I'm not going to say that it was a beautiful relationship the whole 10 years. I mean, there was a period of time where, you know, we didn't speak for a little while because there were, I mean, it became a real relationship with highs and lows and good days and bad days. And the other question that I get often is, was it like a a mother-daughter relationship? And in some aspects, yes. And in some aspects, no. Because she didn't raise you as a child or even know you as a child. So it's hard to replace that. So a lot of it would be just like a friendship. And I had a mother growing up. Right. So it wasn't like I was looking for a mom. Mm -hmm. There were, but you said she would scold you. Oh or, yeah, you know? absolutely. <laughs> so in a lot absolutely. of ways, absolutely. Oh, a hundred percent. I yes, she absolutely would, and in front of anybody. Um, she didn't care. No, she was who she was, and she. <laughs> our relationship was very much. I would say it was real. It wasn't, you know, we had to learn each other's boundaries. In other words. You know, she she grew up in a in a different area and parented differently than my adoptive parents did. And I I remember telling her, "You may speak to my brothers like that, but you're not going to speak to me like that." <laughs> so there were certain we had to cross hurdles and really set limits. And it and was figure out this relationship, right? right. Mm-hmm. You know, and at first when I got there, I mean, she wanted 
to, you know, look at my fingers and my toes and just like you would a newborn baby. Mm -hmm. And she wanted to do all those things. Hmm. And I'm an exceedingly private person, as we talked about. So I'm, you know, ready to crawl underneath the couch. I remember sitting next to my brother and my friend Kim was there. I remember her sitting on the couch and I, and she, and she's mouthing to me, do you want to switch seats? And I'm like, no, like I'm good. (laughs) And it wasn't that I didn't want to be next to her. It's just that, you know, for her, she was just coming right at me and I wasn't used to that. So I was like, you know, taking a step back going, okay. okay." I need a little boundary. Yeah. Yeah. I am sure that she, looking back, and I kind of wish I would have been like this for her. I'm sure that her vision and dream was for me to get off the airplane and run into her arms. Yeah, I got off the airplane and probably hid behind Kim as we were walking up. So that wasn't, and it wasn't, I was just scared. Right. I remember, you know, she was very emotional and I thought I really should be emotional, but I wasn't. I went flat. I just smiled. I had a frozen smile. When you look at pictures, I just have this frozen smile. Did on it my look face. fake? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. It did because I didn't. I didn't know what to do. I always worry: Am I going to show the wrong emotion at the wrong time? Am I? Is this what I'm supposed to be doing? And I remember thinking, okay. So she was crying, and my brother was pretty emotional, and I think Kim was crying. And I remember just smiling, smiling. <laughs> okay. And then she was hugging me and I remember her pulling away and then she got this really strange look on her face. And I remember thinking, what, what? And I look at her and I said, what's wrong? And she goes, you're short. <laughs> and I, I, and I look back at her and I'm like, well, you're short too. I mean, well, I don't know what she expected. <laughs> right. And that's just her humor. I mean, that was her, you know, she, she tries to be funny. So it was uh, just an experience that. You know, in, in looking back and being as open and honest, it it went from me being excited and nervous to feeling guilty about my adopted parents to having to process everything at night when we would when Kim and I would go back to the hotel room because it was so overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And then we stayed for a few days and then I remember when we left I almost went into like this depression. Like I questioned everything, everything from who I was, what I believed in, what my role in life was, you know, was I a good daughter? Was I a good wife? Was I a good mother? Was I a good friend? And everything, it was like somebody, you know how when you spin somebody around and then all of a sudden they can't walk in a straight line? Disoriented and dizzy. That's exactly how I felt for a long time. I would say probably at least a couple of months where I couldn't walk straight. At one point I thought, okay, I'm going to pick up and move to Ohio. And I remember looking at houses online thinking I, I've missed too much. And I felt so much guilt because had I not, had I found my mother sooner, maybe I could have changed the course of her life. In doing so, then I would have changed the course for my brothers. But there was so much to process. Like I said, that I, I would just sit there and think and think. And I would go through moments of panic. And a week after I got back, I remember calling my brother and saying, I'm really not doing that well. Is there any way I could fly you out here for a week? Because I just needed some connection. And he was like, yeah, okay. So he actually, to his credit, jumped on the next airplane and came out and stayed for a week. And that really helped because I had him tell me story after story. Uh, We had Little House on the Prairie TV marathons. marathons. Yeah, you talked about that. it really felt normal with him. 
I remember at one point I, he wanted the remote and I was teasing him and I like pulled it away and he like shoved me a little bit. And I shoved him back and I thought, we're really trying to figure out what this is. This whole brother sister dynamic because yeah, he'd that, not had a sister yeah. and so it was it was interesting and i remember mm-hmm. before he left and this was clarence that we've also interviewed uh i remember when he when i drove him to the airport and i was walking him to the gate he was hysterical absolutely hysterical really? and i was at that point too i was crying but he was really upset mm-hmm. because again it was like we had come together and we're trying to figure this out and then we were apart again and I still wasn't doing well after he left. So then I had my mom come out. That was amazing. She came out two times and that was amazing. You know, she doesn't, she's one of those people that doesn't really like to leave her house that much. So she came out and loved the kids and the kids loved her. And she would, um, she was a great grandma. I and mean, she was, yeah. she was great. She was fun. She was playful. And that was where I remember she was standing downstairs because we had a two story and she said, I'm so proud of you. And I said, for what? And she goes, for what you've built. And she's looking around. She would always have these moments of this like really sentimental, which I don't always do real well with. I kind of want to like escape. Mm-hmm. And then she would start laughing and she'd go into a joke. So she would do that. And then she'd, she'd crack a joke and I remember when she left and I took her to the airport and, and with her, you really had to walk her as close to the gate as possible and make sure she got on the right plane okay. because she could wind up in China otherwise. I'm the same. Lisa has to do exactly <laughs> the same thing with me. Yeah. Right. When I watched her walk away, I remember thinking, this is wrong. I can't. She can't leave. She can't leave. And it was almost like... A child wanting to yell for their mom to come back. It was the weirdest sensation ever. Almost panic. Yeah. Yeah. It was almost a full-blown panic. That was awful as well. And then I I stop and I, I go back and I think about all of the things that you read about. And they say, you know, you can recognize your mother's voice before you're born. And I've seen that. I've seen evidence of that because I've seen babies that won't you know, in the NICU that won't move and a birth mother will come in and say something and the baby will move. And so I've seen it, but I didn't know the lasting effect of it, which is why, again, I think open adoptions are so important. There was one, there was two times that it really brought things to light. I had asked her one time, I said, did you sing a lot when you were pregnant with me? And she said, all the time. And she broke into a song and granted, she wasn't really a singer, that wasn't her, <laughs> wasn't her strength. Her thing, right. Okay. Um, I must have been tired because I was on the phone talking with her. Remember, I'm an adult at this point. Mm-hmm. I fell asleep. Like, <laughs> okay. sound asleep. Right. Like, was it soothing, you mean? Or I don't know. Just her must voice? Have been. Or? I don't know. Yeah. It was the weirdest sensation. Yeah. I remember I was laying on the bed talking with her and I went to sleep. Next thing you know, wake up. Right. right. Um, there was another situation. So she lived in a home that was very small with her mother and her siblings. And when she was an adult, she moved back. So she actually lived down the street from where she lived, where she was pregnant with me. Hmm. And it was a really small house. I got to see it uh, when I found her. When I was maybe nine or 10, uh, we were living in Missouri 
and we went to Lake of the Ozarks. Have you ever been there? No. Okay. So we stayed in like, they're like little like, I want to say a cabin, but I don't even know if that's the right word. It's like a little shack, okay. if you will. And my parents, yes, they're good parents. No, they didn't leave us unattended, but they had to run up to the store or something. And I was in the house in the little shack, right. you know, for 10 minutes by myself. And I remember to this day, this deja vu feeling where it was like I'd been there before. It was the weirdest sensation I've ever felt. It was so comforting and peaceful. And it was like, like I'd been there. Mm-hmm. What was kind of odd is when I had found the house that she was pregnant with me in, it looked it very, very similar. It was very similar. Oh, yeah. wow. And so, hmm. yeah, I don't, I don't know because you can't see. So I don't know if it was just, I don't know. It was just one of those things. And so I think, you know, all of these things, the accumulation of my experiences really just point to me that, you know, open adoption is vital with regards to reunification to do it when you're ready. Mm-hmm. It would have been better for my mother if I didn't sooner, but personally, I wouldn't have You been, weren't in that I place. I wasn't ready. ready. I wouldn't have been able to be the person that I was. I wouldn't have had the financial means to drop and fly out. I wouldn't have been able to spend the kind of time with her and be away from my children at the ages they were at that time. I wasn't at a place in my life that mentally, emotionally, I could have been that support structure for her. Mm -hmm. Because once I found out how she was struggling, I was sending her books, which she didn't read. I mean, she'd read the first page or two and then, you know... (laughs) She wouldn't keep reading them. I wouldn't be able to hold her hand and walk her through some of the hard stuff. When I did finally find her, I was able to do that. So it was the best thing I've ever done. I I don't have regrets other than I would have liked to spend more time with her. Mm -hmm. But I I would really encourage people who are going on the reunification journey to... Expect the unexpected. Mm-hmm. Things that are simple and small to somebody else may be huge to you. For example, I had no idea that my adoptive parents were sending a Christmas card to be an adoption attorney that did my case my whole life. I had no clue. Right. When I had started looking for my mother, I went to them and asked for his name and they gave it to me. Mm-hmm. Ironically, he flew out the next week. Right. It just happened to be not because of that. Right. Well, so (laughs) you gave a smirk. So, yeah, I yeah. I mean, uh, in addition, you know, I said, well, can I see my adoption records? And he said, oh, no, um, they're they're, I don't have them anymore. And I said, well, where are they? And he said incinerated when I stopped my practice. um, You burned all the paperwork and. And so that was why I had to petition the court. So little things like that. So my mom and dad never really thought it was a big deal to tell me that they had been in contact with the adoption attorney the whole time. Whereas to me, that was monumental. Because had I learned of that years and years and years before, the records may have been available. And it wasn't a deliberate withholding. It wasn't anything like that. It was probably just they didn't think much of it. Whereas I was had, you know, running around with my three pieces of information and two of which were correct. So <laughs> I um, I think that 
when you do something as huge as reunification, prepare for counseling. I think that will really help. I will say that for the 10 years I had with my mother, I Uh did try to get her into counseling. Now, she wouldn't go, but I did try. And I think that that would help anybody. I know that this is very difficult for you to open up like this and share because you are a private person. And I do want to thank you. It's so neat hearing a story from a different perspective from somebody who's lived the life of an adopted child. I want to thank you. You're welcome. We have a pregnancy crisis hotline available 24-7 by phone or text at 623-695-4112. Or you can call our toll-free number 1-800-340-9665. We can make an immediate appointment with you to get you to a safe place, provide food and clothing, and start it on creating an Arizona adoption plan or give you more information. You can check out our blogs on our website at azpregnancyhelp.com. Thank you for joining us on Birth Mother Matters and Adoption, written and produced by Kelly Rourke Scary and edited by me, Ron Rains. If you enjoy this podcast, rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts. And as always, thanks to Grapes for letting us use their song I Don't Know as our theme song. Join us next time for Birth Mother Matters and Adoption. For Kelly Rourke Scary, I'm Ron Rains, and we'll see you then.